We're going to be in Micah chapter 5, but let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Father, I'm so grateful for those words that were just saying that you bid us come. You who are hurting, come. If you're unstable, come. However, we need to come to you, Lord. You stand with welcoming open arms. Even those times, Lord, when we're elated and we're on top of the mountain in joy, you're ready to dance with us. You are a great, wonderful, personal God, and we thank you that you have come into our life. Help us now to hear your word and understand. In Jesus' name, we're gathered here and pray. Amen. We are in Micah chapter 5. I'm going to read just verses 1 through 4, if you'll follow along. Starts out, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, one of you will come for me. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth." and he will be their peace. Tremendous words. To get the most out of this verse, as is always important, we must know the setting in which they were delivered by the prophet Micah. We know little about Micah, save that he was from Moresheth Gath, which is a small town southwest of Jerusalem, and that he lived in the early 700s and through the 700 B.C., he was a contemporary of Isaiah. We think he may have known Isaiah, Amos, and Joel, and he prophesied against Jerusalem primarily, though he did prophesy against Samaria and the northern kingdom. To understand Micah's prophecy, we need to use the long lens of telescope. Israel was soon to come under attack by Babylon, then Assyria, then Greek, then the Romans. The book of Micah begins with a pronouncement of judgment against Israel for failing to fully obey and follow God. Chapters 1 through 3 of Micah foretell this coming occupation when the land would be thrown into darkness. Not a darkness of the sun's light, but a darkness of the spirit and soul. It was about 750 B.C. when Micah prophesied. Chapter 4 then takes a huge leap forward in time, some 700 years in fact. In our passage today we read of Micah's prophecy that a ruler will be born in a small, inconsequential town in Bethlehem. Since there was more than one Bethlehem, God gave the prophet a more specific location. God is specific in his prophecies. He noted the ruler would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. 
And those in that day knew that this identified the town as Bethlehem that lay just southwest of Jerusalem, where we know Jesus was born. We must use our telescope lens once more to determine to what time this prophecy was directed. Verse 1 of chapter 4 begins, In the last days. Those who have studied the end times with me these past several weeks are very familiar with this phrase because we ran into it often, in the last days. And that's what he's referring to here. The students of eschatology, the study of the end times, know that this is referring to the end times when God is going to establish his kingdom on earth. Specifically, this is a prophecy of a ruler coming to defeat the enemies of Israel and what we call the second coming. It is that time when Jesus arrives on a white horse with his bride following him to join him in establishing his reign on earth and imprisonment of Satan. We see then a prophecy that is addressing what is soon to occur in the land of Israel being carried off into uh, uh, exile. We are told that a birth of a conquering ruler will come. We are told of judgment, bondage. It will not last because Israel will have a king come to rescue them and rule over the land once more. Finally, we know that his entrance will usher in a time of restoration to the nation of Israel and a time of prosperity once more. So in those few verses, we span thousands of years, literally some yet to come. As Micah preached, the armies were massing on the border. The conquest was soon at hand, and the tiny nation of Israel would fall to their onslaught. They would be carried into exile for 70 years, but even once they were released, they would not be free. Their land was taken from them. They were ruled by a pagan nation. Then, in their dark hour, a small light would be illuminated in a stable in a backwater farming community called Bethlehem. A child would be born who would be their conquering hero. God would not leave them in exile forever. He would rescue them through this ruler, this Savior who was to come. The people of Micah's day were on the cusp of defeat and exile. They could not personally know all the turmoil that was ahead of them. It was only God through his prophets who told them what to expect. The wrath and judgment of God was about to come upon them. They had continually denied God, turned away from him, refused to follow his ways. God sent prophet after prophet to warn them that he would withhold his hand from them and that time had come. The wrath and judgment of God was about to come on them, but God in his prevailing mercy was preparing a deliverer to come. He already had a plan in motion to rescue them. A ruler, Michael 5.2 tells us, was from old. We know that Jesus is that ancient of days. He was present when God made everything, and he was an instrument through whom it was all made. John 1.1, 1, 1, 
tells us that in the beginning was the Word, who was Jesus Christ. The Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things that were made were made through Him and by Him. Jesus was there at the foundation of our world, and when God knew the time was right, He had prepared that Jesus would come. The promise of this ancient, powerful ruler would give them hope in their darkest hour. In the depths of their imprisonment, they could know that it would not last forever. They God's mercy, forgiveness, his provision, and promise that a redeemer, a savior, a ruler would come to deliver them. We live some 3,000 years after Micah, but the darkness in our land is pervasive. Our land is not ruled by any foreign country. We live in freedom, but our people are chained in bondage. We're chained with addictions to drug, alcohol, and gambling. Lawlessness pervades our society, and perversions of all type are doubted as normal and to be accepted, allowed, and encouraged. Our lives are choked by materialism, power, position, and self-elevation. We eschew the things of God for personal pleasure. We are not conquered by a foreign nation, but our people are in bondage just as the Israelites were in Micah's day. Like the people of Israel, we need a Redeemer. We need a Savior. We need a ruler to conquer sin and death and set us free. A ruler is coming on that mighty day of the Lord when he will defeat evil and establish his kingdom. God in his infinite wisdom will love and send a ruler to conquer those who dominate the land of Israel and us. But there is an enemy more destructive than those who launch drones against a people. There is an enemy worse than those who attack children and women without mercy. There is an enemy so insidious and subtle that we don't even know we're in bondage. In John 8, 32, 34, Jesus said to the Jewish people gathered about, The truth shall set you free, and you shall be free indeed. And they protested, We are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. But Jesus revealed to them they were slaves to their sin. Jesus is coming one day with his bride and his train, and on that day his armies of saints and angels will conquer every evil doing, and that old serpent Satan will be cast into the abyss and be imprisoned for a thousand years. Christ will rule supreme over the earth. God knows that domination by ruling a country is insignificant to the domination of sin we all face. God knows that a powerful enemy may cost our life, but that our spiritual enemy can cost our eternal soul and eternal life. And so, God in his infinite wisdom sent Jesus first as a baby an innocent child, a faultless child who grew into a faultless man. Though man looks for a conquering hero to loose them from the bonds of domination,
God knows that it is desires of a man's heart that is ensnares him far worse than that. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus came not as a ruler on a white horse, but as a vulnerable child born in a stable and who lay in a manger. He sent a child who became a perfect man, a God-man, who alone could die for our transgressions, a man by whom we can believe and trust to have paid the price for our sins. A God-man who has redeemed us and set us free from the soul chains that bind us. Just as Jesus said to the Jews 2,000 years ago, he says to us today, ye shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. From the smallest town came a smile, small baby, who is the light of the world. He wants to be your light, not just in saving your soul from the penalty of death, but from each and every day the damaging effects of sin in your life. He who saved you from death to life is waiting to save you from yourselves by showing you a way, his way, to live each and every day. Jesus is a light shining in the darkness of space, time, politics, and your soul providing freedom and guidance. He is the hope of hopelessness. He is the peace in turmoil. He is the comfort from pain. He is the Messiah. And he has come for you, and he waits for you to come to him and receive the offers. Where does your darkness lie? Even if we know Jesus Christ, most all of us have in some hidden recesses of our soul, our spirit, some kind of darkness. Somewhere in those corners, we have something in our life that we're withholding from him. Perhaps from ignorance, we just don't know. More often from stubbornness, we just don't want to let go. Jesus is the light of the world. And he wants to illuminate every deepest corner of our being. He wants his light to infill us, indwell us, illuminate and reach the deepest part of our soul. If all we have to do is to open it up to him. All we have to do is let him. All we have to do is take the blinders off and let his light illuminate. And on that great day of judgments, when all of man's hearts will be revealed, everything will come to light. And so we have a choice. We can release it to him now, let him purify us, let him clean, cleanse us, or he will reveal it on that great white throne of judgment. We can enjoy God's blessings today more than we ever could imagine. We can receive his light of salvation, and then we can continue receiving his light of cleansing every day as we yield ourselves to him. And as we think about this Christ child that we start celebrating today in our Advent season, who came not as a conquering hero this time on a white horse, but perhaps fighting, and I'm sure the greatest battle is the battle for our souls. Join me in prayer.
our precious Heavenly Father. Lord, your ways are above our ways. Your mind is not our mind. Lord, as we look at situations around us, as we look at our life, we say, this is what I need, Lord. But in your wisdom and your eternal knowledge, you say, no, Wes, this is what you need first. You love us enough not to give us what we want, but what we need. And then, Lord, as we give ourselves to you, you pour out the blessings upon us that we can't imagine. Father, you have blessed us so much. We have been giving thanks and we continue to give thanks for Jesus. You woke our souls from the death of sin. You made Jesus Christ known to us. You made known to us that there is a candle of hope, that there is one shining a light in the darkness. And you made us aware of that, Lord. You gave us that gift. You have sustained us, provided for us, kept us, protected us, seen us through, guided us other directions to protect us and help us. You've sent friends and family on our midst to bring us comfort and help. Lord, you have poured out your blessings upon us so manifold that we're impotent to ask for more, for you to do more. Lord, as we go into this Christmas season, I pray that you would impress upon each one of our hearts what you gave to us in salvation and what you've given to us through our life that we may be able to stand up and say we love him because he first loved us. So, Lord, of the season, open our hearts anew. Open our minds to you afresh. Let us see you in a new light. Let us understand we can trust and open ourselves to you completely, knowing that the good and perfect Father is going to do the best for us. We can ask all these things because of Jesus Christ, Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.